So I, I want to sort of build on his talk from last week and talk a little more about appreciation and gratitude. It's the season for that, is it not? In fact, I think sometimes the real, uh, the real opening of us spiritually has to do with appreciation. It covers the Dharma from beginning to end. The thankfulness, the gratitude... And sometimes I uh, have seen people who have been practicing for some time and uh, you get a sense of the roundedness that Dharma does. It Usually, if the person is open and receptive, there is a, there is a uh, shaving off of some of the rough edges of many of our uh, qualities. <clears throat> and very wonderful and skillful and uh, interconnected qualities begin to shine through those those more transparent areas. And sometimes I, you can see what, where there is still perhaps childhood damage or uh, some difficulty uh, because there'll be a, a part missing. There'll be something that feels uh, as if it just needs more attention. And often I find it's this area of appreciation that if we're too assertive and forceful in our own methods and our own influence on our practice. If we think everything is being done by us and we are very effortful and woeful towards that end, something doesn't get in. It doesn't quite penetrate. Something doesn't, doesn't, isn't allowed to come through. And uh, it often is that sense of appreciation and gratitude. It's a beautiful quality. It's really a quality that these uh, holiday seasons are composed around. If you think of Thanksgiving as a holiday, it's really a holiday of pause. There is not much commercialism in Thanksgiving except buying your turkey, I suppose. And... There's a, it's a beautiful holiday as an attribute of spirit because it highlights just that sense of, well, let's just take in what has gone on here. Rather than doing more, let's receive what's already happened. Let's just hold the preciousness of, of what we have been offered. Uh, and to do that, we have to be quiet. We have to be silent. We have to allow that pause to continue, to have some duration. It's very interesting to me that we have now shoved Christmas shopping even into Thanksgiving Day, as if we can't wait for the silence to be over so that we can come back with the noise of our wanting. Because the noise of our wanting is what establishes us. It gives us a ground. It gives us something to do. We can, we can be proactive in our wanting and crowd around the Macy basement doors. So as soon as they open, we can all shove our way through and grab whatever there is. You can just see it. I mean, I saw it on TV to my horror. Even on Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> people were losing their posture, their dignity. And it was, I don't know, it's just, 
you can see the two sides of us. I don't want to be despairing about people who did that because that tendency is that tendency, those two sides are in us. And they're sometimes at war with one another. There's the silent side. There's a side that sits comfortably in grace, with grace and in grace, and in the company of others, and just feeling the pleasure and the joy of that participation, of that interconnection. And from that arises a very natural warming of the heart that really has a gratitude associated with it. I think of appreciation as what the heart feels when it isn't turbulent or struggling, when it isn't caught in a kind of self-centered approach to living, when we can look out beyond ourselves and be more inclusive. And then gratitude is what shape that appreciation takes in action. And it's just a beautiful way of, of encouraging that sense of ourselves forward. But here's the problem. We have to want it to come forward. We have to incline our mind towards it. Like anything, it re- takes a active intentionality to want life to move in that direction. And it's not the most empowering direction. It's the least powering direction, really. It doesn't allow us to be formed quite as definitively as our greed and anger does. And yet, what happens from it is anything but self-depreciating. It's self, it's, there's a beautiful sense of involvement in life, a beautiful sense of gratitude and graciousness of life that comes effortlessly from that quiet and that stillness. You know, I was trying to think if any healing has ever come from noise, I can't think of it. But you can immediately see the healing that comes from quiet. Immediately you sense that. And just our willingness to move our life in that direction. And again, it requires an inclination to do so. Many of us have kind of lost that inspiring sense of direction. We just don't believe that we have enough notoriety to give it up to silence. And so we stay on a kind of an edge, a kind of doubting edge that doesn't allow us to really commit to one side or the other completely. Most of us have wisdom enough to know that we aren't going to wait outside all night at Nordstrom's door. And yet, when we see that, there's something in us that encourages that part forward. Except we do it online more secretively. (laughs) 
So these, these two sides of ourselves, these two defining very important areas of ourselves. Because I really feel that the, I don't want to be too dramatic here, but really the fate of the world is held within which, which one of those two sides we incline towards. And so far, it hasn't been pretty. So this sense of appreciation, of calling ourselves out, of really looking and investing and receiving life. Now this is an extraordinarily important word. I just want to spend a few minutes talking about this nature of receptivity because if you think of appreciation, it's not appreciation, a self-centered appreciation. It's a freeing up of that self-centeredness so that I can see or we can see in a much broader context of what the circumstances call for or have involved. And from there, you can sense that appreciation is a receptive quality of attention and awareness. It's taking life in rather than trying to influence it. And so this is, this is kind of the keystone, the marker, the key point in Dharma work as to whether we will allow ourselves to continually exert an influence upon life or whether we will back away and really take it in. Much of what we do is kind of preconceived. That is, we think we have an opinion, we have a belief, we know how this situation should evolve and we're acting on that opinionation never really receiving the situation at all in its totality, acting long before we've really taken in the circumstances. And when we do that, we're, we're constantly moving it in relationship to our, our needs, but really not feeling the effect our needs has upon the entirety, the whole, the complete moment. And to do that, we just have to settle back a little bit. Not run according to what our first knee-jerk response is, but just to, to receive it, what's going on here. Let us learn. Let's understand the situation before we act upon it. The acting before the understanding is the exertion of self-influence. The understanding that comes first prior to the action is the appreciation for the moment. And that's a very different quality of action that comes from having taken in the situation rather than to act upon the situation before it's been taken in. You think that's a small point, but it's the absolute key point to shifting the whole of our consciousness around into a new dimension. It's very, it's, it's not a hard one to do. We make Dharma much harder than it really is. It just requires us receiving, looking at the moment, feeling the display, feeling the context of the moment, and then acting appropriately to that context. And to do that, there has to be a, a degree of subtlety, a degree of sensitivity. Obviously, as you 
as you hear my words, I mean, it's a kind of a gross mind that just acts according to our own opinions, to our own desires. It's very self-centered. It looks much like the world looks like now. But to receive the world and discover an action from that receptivity, you can hear that you have to, we have to be sensitive to it. We have to take it in. We have to let it affect us. It has to come in to us. It has to reach us. And to do that, we have to stop. There's no way for us to do that without first pausing so that that relationship can be established, so that that life can be allowed porously in, to come in. Now, that's not beyond anyone's ability here. I mean, stop thinking of Dharma practice as something laborious and difficult and distant and hours of sitting, following. It's not that. This is a simple disengagement of mind and engagement of heart. A turning around of how it is and what it is that we want from life. Again, it has to be done through intentionality. There's no substitute. If you think just your sitting practice will evolve an intention in that direction, it doesn't necessarily. It may but it doesn't necessarily. It really requires us seeing that the way we've been living has been too gross and kind of disgusting, really. I mean, it doesn't take much. Just turn on the TV and look at the greed factor of mind in front of us. Where we can't even have a full day of pause The original Thanksgiving, as I understood it, was with about 120, 150 people. About half of the pilgrims who were putting the feast on had died that year. And everyone that was around was included. This may be a myth, probably is. But it feels, even the myth carries a kind of, of heart intonation where everyone's included here. It's a feast for all. It's an inclusive, it's inclusive. Probably celebrating a full harvest. And every time we're willing to pause, to just step out of the turbulence of our thoughts, of the opinionations that those thoughts necessarily force us into and the action from that opinionation which keeps us two feet ahead of our real receptive mind and heart. Just settling and allowing that receptivity to occur and knowing that receptivity only comes from total seeing. Appreciation is that totality in seeing. There are three qualities of appreciation I'd like to speak about, if I could. 
The first quality I want to talk about is the ability to openly receive, that is to let it in. And I said uh, early on in this talk much about that. But let me just continue. Because what we have to do in order to really allow life to come in is to know the difference between the life that is coming in and the life that we're manufactured about what is coming in. People see the difference between that? What we do is we allow the life that we think is happening to come in. We manufacture our life. We story our life. We narrate our life. We think that's the truth of our life. But it's not. It's all coded with our history and with our reactivity, with our emotional responses. It's all self-centered in the sense that It's all coming from my disposition outward. It's not the real life that's coming in at all. It's the screened life. It's the determined, the mentally determined life that we allow. And what we have to do is to really bear bear our chest, bear our hearts. And we have to know the difference. This is where... It requires some training. We have to know the difference between what we are thinking as opposed to what is actually occurring. And that starts with the first time you notice a simple breath and notice the difference between your thinking about that breath and the breath that's actually occurring. That establishes, that establishes a skill base, an information base on which we can now move our entire practice. And you get to the point where we start mistrusting what we're saying about the experience because we have seen from countless occasions that what we have said or say about the experience is distorted. It just isn't true. It just... It's life as lived by, through my mind. And that just doesn't, doesn't really cover the bases. It gets us a meal. You know, it gets us on the highway moving north. It gets us calculated and precise. But it doesn't really establish a relationship with life at all. An I-thou relationship is no relationship. It's a relationship based on fiction, based upon abstraction. That's not what appreciation sees. And so the willingness to really take it in And it doesn't, again, when is it inappropriate not to take it in? It doesn't, it seems like it's always appropriate to take it in. Because I hear people saying, and this is one of the ways that the mind works against our spiritual growth, 
is it argues, oh, I can't just be like that. I've got, you don't know my job. You don't know my family. I've got to, like the activity level itself has to force ourselves to be unconscious. Now, if that's true, it's hopeless. If you say that to yourself and really believe it, then don't come anymore because it's hopeless. It's testing that and showing that it is possible. It does require something from us. It requires attention. It requires a pause. It requires receiving it. But it certainly isn't hopeless. Let it in without conditions. You know, I'll let this in, but I don't want to let that in. And we had a talk early on in this series about not being aware of the defense mechanism of denial. How we're partial in our seeing. Seeing what is in alignment with the concepts and images of ourselves and hiding from anything that betrays our false sense of ourselves. And yet, that's not seeing. Seeing is seeing. We are more afraid of the truth than any other experience. Far more. And yet, being conscious means being aware of the truth. Taking it in unconditionally taking it in. Let the chips fall where they will. The second quality I want to speak about is not personalizing what we see once we do take it in. That is letting it out once it's been taken in. Now, this is equally as hard. Some people are very good at taking it in and then kind of romanticizing it or abridging it or personalizing it or worrying about it once they take it in. And then it gets clustered in there, clumped, and it can't move out. We can't let it go because we've tied it to our purpose and value and our distinction and, and actions. And so it has the, the me coats it. And we can't let it go because we, are, we haven't completed our task. We haven't eliminated hunger from the world. Right? And so we just, we just take it in and just kind of maul over it like that. No matter what the issue is, the issue can get stuck in there. As I mentioned frequently, when I was, I learned this lesson so well when I was on hospice care because I would get in and I would drive my car to a one family and I would have to be present for their pain or what good was I? And then I would get in my car and I would drive to the next home and I couldn't carry the previous home's trauma into this next home. I had to let it go so that I could be a, available for the next interaction. 
it really taught me. I mean, it was such a clear lesson. I saw immediately what happened when I carried over the worry from the previous home or I wasn't able to let it go. I wasn't available to the next home. I wasn't present. And I was useless to them. And this, in a less dramatic series of events, happens to us all day long. What we have just engaged in carries over to that next moment of engagement. And we wish that person wouldn't even show up so that we could continue to think and mull over what we had just experienced. Or somebody speaks and we really don't care what they say. We're just waiting for them to stop so we can express our, the truth of our opinion. You can see the clearing out that's necessary for life to be engaged and active. It's not a past product. It's a present occurrence. There's no past in life. It's an active expression. It's like a sparkler. Right? But we carry the trance of our day the trance of the last meeting, the trance of our worry about our fill-in-the-blank. And so we can never take it in because we've never let it out. We're not available for life to come in because we're not empty enough for it to come in. This needs our attention. <laughs> We have to incline ourselves. You see what we, we, again, we argue why we shouldn't allow it in. It's too important to worry about my daughter. You don't understand. My daughter is in Nicaragua. And she needs my worry. This is the logic that we say. And if I stop worrying about her, well, maybe she'll get into trouble. We really think our worry helps counter the influences that would happen to her if we didn't worry. It's, in, it's that insane. And then if I didn't worry and somebody says, how's your daughter? And I said, well, I haven't been thinking about her for days. What kind of a mother am I? You see, because we hold ourselves to such a high degree of entrapment we think the very statement of entrapment is the statement of our love. But where is life's effervescence? Where is its renewal factor? Where is it renewing itself? How can it renew itself? How can it be appreciated? We let go unconditionally. We let it in unconditionally and we let it go unconditionally. Instead of thinking ourselves as a three-dimensional gatekeeper, it comes in, gets molded around in this circuitry of mind that's extended into the past and future of life. And then a droplet of it is let go 20 years later the rest is stored 
It's more like a sheet of paper. Just comes through. It's that thin. That way it can meet itself, you see. It can't meet itself if it's thick. We don't trust that. The whole thing has to do with where we base our trust, where we base our faith, of course. It always circles back to that. We trust me. We trust what I think. We trust what I believe. We trust our opinions. We trust our, our, our trance of thinking. That's what we trust. That's what we have relied upon, and that's what we trust. And that's what needs to be questioned, needs to be investigated, needs to be really honed in and looked at. We're not going to willfully give it up because the very will that we use to give it up is just more of the same. This isn't an act of conscious volition. This is an act of seeing. This is an act of understanding. You see that the... Thoughts don't carry the true representation of reality. You, we see that. We see that worry does not interfere. We see that worry interferes with love. We see that. We see that life is happening all around us, and I'm just this this hardened ball of thinking about past and future, and it, nothing can get in when it's all concentrated and dense like that. We see that. The seeing of it allows the access. The seeing of it breaks the conditioning. Not hearing a Dharma talk and think, I'm going to be like that. And that's the third quality of appreciation is that it only happens in non-struggle, when I'm not struggling. So, but just, it's here all around us. You know, it's like if we look into a, a small area of our concern, of our environment, we see only that area. We stare at only the page in front of you. But if you lift your eyes up, that's all we're suggesting here. It's just lifting our eyes off the page of ourselves, the page of our own self-determination, just taking in more than our own self-centeredness. That's all. It all comes... It's not being held or with... It's not being shielded from us. We're just looking in the wrong way. We just have to learn to look in a different way. That's all. And then it comes shining in because it's all around us. See, the Dharma isn't some distant thing. It's all around us. We're just refusing to participate in it because we mean so much to ourselves. That's the only reason. It's like this dense thing. And always, you know, if you take cotton... You know, and you just start separating it out and you start looking at it and letting light in, 
pretty soon it's not dense at all. If you take this sense of self and you start looking at it, just feeling what it does to create this density, it just starts spreading itself out. Like I was speaking to one person who said, you know, for the last couple of years, I've just taken on generosity. And he said, it's just becoming much more spontaneous now. It used to be a matter of quantity, how generous am I, and I need to be more generous, and this kind of tension that we have. And he says, no, it's just like, if I give, I give, and if I don't give, it's okay too. And it's just more effortless. I said, well, it's becoming integrated. Not only is it becoming integrated, but in order for it to become integrated like that, the consciousness has to expand sufficiently. You can't take anything on, especially something as unequivocal as appreciation, which really holds all of the paramis. Generosity establishes itself from appreciation. Kindness, patience, all of that rests on the foundation of appreciation. And if you find your heart more appreciative or more generous or more patient, you can be assured that much more light is getting in. There's much less predominance of the egoic sense of me. And it may not feel that way to you at all, and you may not even sense your own growth in that, but that's what's happening. And it's... The way we'll feel it is that we just feel more spontaneously generous. That's all. A minor thing, really. And yet the implication of it, if the self doesn't get into the act and claim responsibility for it, is that the awareness is expanding. It's seeing more. It's allowing more to come in. It's, it's being far more receptive than it used to be. And that's the effect of receptivity, is that I'm more spontaneously generous. But we write that off as too, you know, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, but what about, I can't stay on my breath. You're more spontaneously generous and you're worried about how many breaths you're following? This is it's much greater, it's bigger than what we think. It's not our little plot. It's not, you know, we're not, I've got my Dharma mat, my Zafu, my holy pictures, you know. It's, this is bigger than this. <laughs> bigger than that. And I just, I want to emphasize this point of sensitivity because many people will come and not feel like the Dharma is getting in or I don't know, they just, because there's a, lot, there's a lot of rumination and a lot of reactivity. All of that stuff is at everybody's door. We have to clean it up. There's no question. You have to look at it. You have to feel the pain of it and all of that, which we've talked about endlessly. But that isn't all the Dharma. That's just what's in front of the door. That's just what's in front of the door and sometimes the door doesn't have anything in front of it. And you feel the enormous light and warmth of the, of the sun rushing in. And you feel, oh, that's just, 
But then the stuff comes back in front of the door. And then that's, the, that's where you think you are. You think you're the stuff in front of the door. The other was some kind of weird accident of something. I had this moment. It's just the opposite, really. You know, often on retreat, people just, they, they, they can't seem to access that sense of receptivity because they're too geared into, you know, forcing their practice forward. And I said, no, 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 no. Okay, so let's just do this. Let's just do this. Do this for me. Find something you love that you think is truly beautiful. You don't have to look far, you know, like dew on a piece of grass or the opening of a flower or just the mist of rain touching you. Just stop there, stop. And just receive that. Just receive it. Feel what it's like. Live the beauty. Don't experience the beauty, live it. And just feel what the heart does when when it's touched in that way. That's all. That's all. That's a beautiful moment of access. The heart's tender. It's open. It's living the beauty. If if we could understand that that is the practice. That is the access. That sensitivity, that It's just, I mean, you can, you can just do it by just, you don't even have to go outside. You don't have to go anywhere. You just take it in. <laughs> now things really feel in communion. Instead of taking communion, you're receiving it. You're communicating. And people who have difficulty feeling their emotions, well, that's their access. The access for emotions is tenderness. If we're willing to be tender, you see, all these words have have kind of a negative meaning to them because they work against the economic survival. Tenderness, sensitivity, they're like 1960s garbage, right? Well, if if you want to dismiss them, that's fine, but they're also the guidance system for the spiritual. You can't do it this other way. You can't do it individually. And to access the heart, to let the heart feel the tenderness, to let it be available. We, the sense of us, the sense of us, the idea of us has to step outside. Because the idea of us is the protection that has an opinion about everything that's coming in. 
and therefore it blocks the door from actually feeling the sensitivity and tenderness that is, a com- that is coming through. So if you realize that you're growling and grizzly and it's, what am I supposed to do, feel this mist, I'm getting wet, uh, I'm not going to, you know you're blocking the door. It's pretty clear. You think, what's going on with me? Why can't I just simply take in what's beautiful? Why can't I appreciate what's beautiful? Starting there, starting at the rose. I mean, we should really ask ourselves, why can't I appreciate and delight in this? Well, I'm too busy practicing. And the mind is always there. It's always, it's always there. You, you really begin to learn the distinctive quality of mind speak. When it feels gratitude and then it says, oh, but I, I have to give back. I've received so much. Now I have, to do, I have to do something. There's a natural expression of that when you do feel appreciative. There is the natural movement in response to that in giving back and returning. But the sense of must or I have to or obligation or responsibility in the toll that I feel and am I doing enough and all of that, that's not, that's not the natural response. I have a friend and sometimes we'll have her over for dinner or something or I think once we went to the movie with her. And then, but she can't ever receive. The next day she's got to do something for us. It's not, it's not but it's not necessary. <laughs> but that, in order for her to feel her own sense of worth, she can't receive and just let the, re- the receiving be enough. You see? So you know when the mind is engaged with its own demise, with its own contraction, within its own logic, with its own calculations, and the emotional expression of pain that's often behind, almost always, if not always, behind such action. But the sensitive person is sensitive to the pain as well, is sensitive to the pain Oh, look at this. What's going on here? Feeling the tenderness of the pain itself. Doesn't dismiss the pain. Can't dismiss anything. There's nothing on earth. You dismiss a single atom. The heavens and earth's part forever. There's nothing. There's no dismissing here. It's all or nothing. And we've chose nothing. It's all, everything. Okay, what's going on in here? May it be so for us all. Let us sit for a minute or two.
So don't, we don't want to put any pressure on ourselves to live up to the gratitude we feel. Every one of us should feel grat, grat, gracious and grat, gratitude and appreciation. Life itself imparts that. <clears throat> Sit in the middle of yourself, in the middle of your mind, in the middle of the stirrings of your body. And if you look at it in the wrong way, it will work against you. If you look at it in the right way, all you see is appreciation for life. This is the expression of life. This is how life is expressing itself. This is the only way it can express itself. Even when it's lost, that's the perfect expression. Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be... Yes? So at one point you had mentioned um, when you allow sort of appreciation into your heart, it, um, it then directs your action into the world rather than sort of your, your uh, intellect or your thought. And um, often, and sometimes that happens for me, but also a lot of times if I feel really stuck or like flooded in thoughts and like I can't access my heart, just by um, sort of uh, being available for other people, whether it's like call my ailing grandmother or a friend who I know who is in need. And from a selfish place, kind of being like, I need to get out of my self-centeredness by contacting them, that opens my heart. And so it's almost like this symbiotic thing, like it can either come from the heart or sort of just that action of generosity can open my heart too, but it actually does kind of come from a selfish not not really it's not really a selfishness it's a survival isn't it the heart feeling is feeling flooded it's feeling cramped it can't breathe so you have certain skillful ways in order to have it breathe right so you call a friend or you take yourself out or you call I don't know you you do whatever you need to in order to bring that pause in sufficiently so that you can align yourself to the intent and purpose of the heart right so I don't see that as being selfish. I see that as being skillful and realigning yourself when there's a lot going on, right? That's what we all do. I mean, that's how meditation starts. It starts like, I've got to get out of this mind, you know? It's not really a selfish endeavor, even at that level. It's really a calling of some sense that there's something in us that is being betrayed. And let me find a technique or something that allows access to that, which I know is in there. I know Thanksgiving is in there. I know it's in there. I felt it before. Right? So be careful that you don't use words like selfishness that put a, a kind of a, a bite on a skillful intention. Okay? And this, this sense of being flooded is, I mean, we live in that a lot. One of the ways that we can work with that is invite an immediate pause rather than a circumstantial or an, adapt, an adaptive pause. Like, okay, this is the, as bad as it gets for me. That's it. Okay, so I'm stopping. Right? You just... 
like you just pull out all, pull away from any control and trying to change it. And then something else far greater, far more spacious comes in. It doesn't necessarily remove the flurry and flutter, but it shows you some immediate relief and a different dimension in which you're accessible to. Just like, oh. Whoa. So, I mean, that's really what... I, we, we have a lot of skillful means that we have brought along. Like the Sabbath was a skillful means. Like, this is a day of rest. It's a day of pause. Right? Blue laws that everybody hated because they couldn't shop. <laughs> was a skillful means. It was like giving us some turf here. Grace at the table. At the, you know, all this, uh, 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 let's, just, let's just stop here. Let's just, I mean, it's a skillful means. It's a way to give us pause. We just think of it as an interruption to the noise that we want to continue that defines us. So you've got to, we've got to turn this thing around. We've got to start looking at it differently. Start encouraging the pauses. Encouraging the graces. And I don't mean in any kind of formal religious sense, but just like the food's in front of you now, just stop for a second. I know it looks really good. And, now, and then let the action come from the pause. There's a very different action that comes from the pause right because it's taken in much more than the noise could have ever taken in so you look at your plate and you see you've taken more than your share of this or that you never would have seen that had you not paused right and you think oh okay what the, all right well <laughs> or whatever it just allows a different it allows an appropriateness. Just start very simple. These are not simple in terms of its effect on your consciousness, but they're things that are accessible for everyone all the time. They're not distant. Don't make this distant. Because you your life doesn't allow for long retreats, doesn't make it distant. Okay, uh, we've, got to start, we've got to start all, erase all that. <laughs> it's okay, no, no, it's okay, it's not wrong, it's not wrong. It's just that your thinking of appreciation is a quality of mind rather than a quality of heart. 
When you're not thinking, appreciation is there. Don't think of it as something that you have to do in a judgmental sense. Okay, now I've got to be appreciative. No, it's when you're quiet. If you just let your attention rest upon something, do this, do the exercise. Rest upon something where there's natural beauty. The beauty will shut you up. Shuts you up. And you go, oh, that's appreciation. Okay? You had to be shut up before appreciation could flower. You didn't have to do anything to find appreciation. The fact is that there is a lot of mind stuff that keeps us very noisy. And you mentioned many of them. They're all the array of emotions and the contingencies and fears and all of the desires that we have. This is just how we have learned to noise our way through life. Those are the way that we have established after two million years of our species learning its individuated ways. This is what genetically it looks like. A lot of noise in there and a lot of things to keep you noisy. And if you shut up, you'll get scared. And, you know, and if you... So it's got you all like this. But... I don't care what's happening, we can always... Now listen, listen. I'm going to tell you a secret. (laughs) Whatever is happening, no matter how noisy, the noise is happening in stillness. It's coming from stillness. It's not coming from greater noise. Noise isn't the foundation. Stillness is the foundation. Noise is coming out of stillness. You listen in a different way and you'll feel and hear the foundation on which the noise arises, including the fear, including the desire, including the loneliness. Is there room for this too? Is there space for this? If you just look at the noise and get frustrated, you're feeding the noise with additional noise. Noise never shuts itself off because it has no other context except to get noisier about it. It needs another context. It needs another sense of relief. It needs another way to frame it. But that's always available. Stillness, quiet, awareness is always available within every experience. That's the definition of what we're doing here. Being able to be present within the noise shows us the the proximity of stillness. We can't fight our way to stillness. We can only surrender the need to make more noise. And that's stillness. How what? Porous. Porous, Porous, yes. 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 Well, I just don't remember saying that. (laughs) 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 Oh. Okay. Okay, so if you look at... First, you have to understand what the sense of self is, right? That takes a lot 
long time for people to understand how it forms. It forms around the past and the future. That's how it gives itself dimensionality. It doesn't have dimensionality any more than this moment has dimensionality. It has dimensionality because we give it a past and a future. We give it some place where this came from and some place where this is going towards. That's the three-dimensionality that makes us feel as if we are a three-dimensional sense of self. But it only comes from the noise of constantly echoing time into the frame of reference from which we perceive. Okay? So when you, when you get a sense, you know, time is not intrinsic to the moment. It's being brought from me into the moment. And what I'm getting out of it is a sense of me participating in the moment from along. Well, I know where I came from tonight and I know where I'm going as soon as this class is over. So now I'm just passing through this moment. I'm a passing through kind of guy. <laughs> you see? Well, that, you're never going to abide anywhere passing through. But time gives us a sense of passing through. Passing through is that you have other things that you need to do. It gives you a sense of self-importance. It gives you a sense of distinction. You're going to a different spot than I'm going to. See? So when you get a sense, oh, wait a minute, this isn't working in my favor. And my spiritual favor. This isn't really, this isn't bringing out what I long for, what I really incline my heart towards. It's just bringing me out. So I'm not going to buy into that anymore. I'm going to see what the moment looks like when I'm not timing it to be something different. Now it looks very vacuous, spacious, open full of possibility because I'm not going anywhere what's more you look very different because I'm not bringing the past to bear upon you or that thing over there in fact it's all arising together that's a very different right that's a, poor, that's a very porous sense of self. It doesn't mean that that film of self that's still there doesn't know what to do functionally in the world or be able to call a person's name if that person raises their hand. It doesn't all get trashed, all the knowledge doesn't get trashed, it just goes into abeyance. It's just quiet. It's like a library. You can reach for the book and find out what you want, but you put the book back, you don't have to constantly read all the time. Library's there. You don't have to worry about it ever going away. At least not in my... Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.